0: Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's The Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris, Savage Mummy Fox, and Christopher, Savage Bull Landauer.
1: Welcome to Episode 9 of Savage Cast, The Crossover.
0: Hey guys, welcome to part two of the Wild Die Savage Cast crossover episode.
1: Smackdown. Uh,
0: the Smackdown, the once and for all, who's the better Savage Worlds podcast? No, not uh, at all. No, no, no. Actually, there's there's room for two in this little uh, podunk town. So, if you guys have not caught the first episode uh, of our crossover, it's being hosted on the Wild Die podcast. And the four of us, uh, Mommy, Bull, Eric Lamero and Jamie, uh, we answered questions like, um, what one rule would we like to add to Savage Rules? Uh, does Savage Worlds work with Theater of the Mind and without minis? And uh, what dirty tricks do you guys use against your players? So it's a really good episode. And um, after our brief introduction here, and we tell you what cool stuff you can pick up in the Savage Sphere, uh, you can check out the second half.
1: Yeah, so our second half, we, we covered some a little bit broader topics. So we covered a little bit about Benny Economy. Uh, we did a real fast, dirty guide to combat. And then talked a little bit about what is a plot point campaign. So after you guys have listened to the shows, if you have any uh, ideas you'd like to answer any of those questions, uh, give us those answers. Hit us up on Facebook. Go to G+. Send us an email at uproar at savagecast.com we'd like to know uh, what some of your answers are to some of those questions.
0: Yeah, this is and- important to us guys. Like the the wild die guys actually get some feedback from their listeners and and we know you're out there. We're, we're getting over a 1000 downloads per episode and that's conservative. And we we don't hear from you guys yet. So uh we want you guys to reach out to us. We are and we even beg. I know. We, we plead.
1: We oh please guys plead write yeah. to us. <laughs> we would we would love to hear from you.
0: We're we're, we're sad and lonely men yeah. who need to hear from our our fan, fans. Please, please send us mail.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun uh doing this show with those guys. Um you know, it's the first time I I've kind of done a crossover show. I've done other shows, but uh you know, being on somebody else's show and then having them come over to our show. Uh, you know, first one. So hopefully it'll be uh, the first of many. We can do it uh, with those guys again. You know, maybe try to do it with some other shows. Maybe not even Savage World specific. Maybe we can get the Happy Jacks guys, a couple of those guys who play Savage Worlds to come on over. And we can go uh, over to Happy Jacks and talk with them. Uh, I do the G Plus uh, Savage Worlds GM Hangout uh, every Wednesday with Jib, who's on Happy Jacks. So, uh, you know, Stu said he'd be willing to do that with us. So we'll hit him up. And try to get uh, some other views of Savage Worlds out there to you guys.
0: Yeah, and um, so the one of the ho- one of the co-hosts, um, newly minted over on the Wild Eye Podcast, is Eric Lamorel, and uh, he's actually been pretty busy this summer, um, having some of his Savage Worlds creations published by um, multiple different companies. So we've already told you about um, Justin Insert Imagination, who published his "Forget About It" um, one shot. And uh, that's a page you want. But the uh, Just Out from Eric as well, from Fabled Environments, love those guys, uh, is a new module for, called A Cauldron Full of Mischief. Sounds actually pretty fun.
1: Yeah, it, he says he ru- that's a, a con game that he runs quite a bit that he decided to put out there. Uh, with Fabled Environments, of course, it's going to come with some maps if you get the bundle. So you, you can have the adventure and the maps Pay one price for a bundle. Have everything you need. I'm going to buy it and take, take a read of it. I haven't decided on my second game yet for our convention here called Tacticon. And I'm going to read through it. It may be uh, something I could run there because I'm lazy. I don't mind running other people's stuff.
0: Oh yeah, the, uh, that's one of the things about conventions Sometimes like GMs are like, I don't want to run the same game twice And it's like, no man, take it easy Run the same, the same ad- scenario twice Because what inevitably happens is People hear about your scenario But they never get to play in it Because you never run it again So
2: right. the, uh, yep.
0: we're totally cool with that the, This one sounds like it would it'd fit right in With kind of a, uh, I think, ETU East Texas University kind of sounds like it'd fit right in with that kind of I, I haven't I haven't read through it yet but when I read from the blurb it sounds like a uh, a girl's uh, roommate goes missing and there's some recipes that you know weird recipe going on so uh
1: yeah I'll read I'll I'll, I'll pick that up I'll read through it and uh next show so for show 10 uh, i 'll let you guys know uh, what I thought of it and and if I think it's going to be good for a convention, so i'll pick that up and get that read for next time
0: an- another cool thing that 's just out um, the guys at GG studio uh, they're the Italians um, have put out an expansion for their Ultima Forsan setting, and that 's kind of the uh, Ultima Forsan is Italian for last chance, and it's like their Renaissance meets zombie apocalypse setting. Uh, so they just put out um, Macabre Ruthenia which is um, kind of Renaissance Russia and so all things undead and dastardly going on in Russia um, so it's cool to see them putting out some content uh, for that setting uh, well,
1: that actually sounds pretty yeah, cool yeah
0: I like that setting I-, I picked it up because I'm writing a Renaissance era game and um, so I wanted to you know, pick it up for reference and to see what they had done and their their take is a big a big departure They they kind of it, it, there's this historical up until boom the zombie apocalypse breaks out, and then there's like several hundred years of aftermath of the zombie apocalypse, um, and then kind of civilization is just you know rebuilding itself. Um, so the uh, this is kind of cool that they're still putting you know quality stuff out for that. Um, definitely like their their initial book and the um, the maps and some of the supplements they put out already. So I think I'm gonna pick this one up as well. Uh, even though you know, Rush is kind of a different direction than I'm heading with mine. Um, yeah, it's, it's very cool when people take historical settings and put a cool twist on them. So uh, that, that's out now for under 10 bucks.
1: Yeah, and if you want to get way historical, like Cyberpunk...
0: Totally historical. Interface
1: no, 0, official. 2.0, like there's not enough even in the, in the core book. That core book is humongous. Uh, they Massive. put out the New York uh, reclama- reclamation zone. Psst. It's easy, easy for me to say. No, not really.
0: I'm amazed that after putting out a book that large, that those guys are still able to put out supplementary material as fast as they are. Yeah. Because, uh, and New York's huge. I think New York is kind of one of the bigger uh, areas in the game. So yeah, and
1: it's got. Uh, it says it's got new character archetypes in it, occupations, edges, weapons, hazards, NPCs. I mean, like I said, like the the first the, the core book wasn't enough. Now you've got a whole nother book, and it's 6 bucks. uh, Yeah, that's pretty cheap. That's really a good price for a PDF, I think.
0: The uh, other cool happenings, um, over at Pinnacle, they are having uh, a sale on the Sixth Gun RPG to celebrate the end of the comic. The actual Sixth Gun comic um, is coming to an end this month, and so there's a sale on that. And I think... Uh, at last check, there were fewer than a hundred limited edition hardcovers of Six Gun left. So, if you want the hardcover, now's the time to grab it.
1: Yeah, they're ending with I think uh, issue fifty. I think comes out, and that's uh, that's it. Very cool. I've read the I've read the first six issues, I think, and it, it, I liked it. It was interesting. Uh, I've just got a lot of other things that I read, so you know, I haven't read past that. I bought the first trade of it, and I did enjoy it.
0: I'm a fan when, uh, either TV shows or comics, when they, they, they get a concept in their head, they map out the arc and they stick to it. Um, I think a lot of times when it's like, oh, we're popular now, let's make this go twice as long. Uh, you kind of lose something and, uh, I, I'd rather see a good story, uh, that finishes than one that just gets, eh. Yeah, they they know,
1: they know when to end it.
0: Yeah, so that's cool. Uh, good for those guys.
1: And the one I'm excited about is uh, the, cra- the uh, Cackler graphic novel is now available for pre-orders. So if you didn't do the Cackler during the Kickstarter, you can now pre-order that. I'm going to be pre-ordering that at some point. Uh, that's something that Shane had said that he had wanted to write about for years in the Deadlands universe. Is who is the Cackler? And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea. Until I get this and get it read.
0: Ooh, well, I mean, I, I, I am, I am the Padawan to your Jedi Master as far as Deadlands goes, but I, I know who the Cackler is. So. Okay, don't
1: don't spoiler. Don't tell me.
0: Okay, yeah, no, I won't. <laughs> the uh, no, I, 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 I think it'll be a revelation of biblical proportions when, when you finally figure out who it is. It's cool. In other news, other kickstarters. There is a a new mapping system out called Mystics. And this is kind of cool. It's like static cling maps. Um, so you can use um, uh, kind of like... Uh, we,
1: it's like color forms yeah, from, when yeah, we, like, from when you were a kid. Yeah,
0: color forms are like... Remember Shrinky Dinks? Did you ever have Shrinky Dinks?
1: I
3: did, yeah. Yeah, so
0: yep. the yep. Um, so yeah, cool little static cling stuff for maps. I, I like the concept. It's another, another kind of... Um, I haven't seen this done before in maps. Yeah. Um, The uh, definitely handy in the sense that it looks like you can have a completely modular, customizable, easy to change map that still has good graphical quality, uh, but kind of fits in a binder. I mean, you just have it looks like they they have got you know plastic tab pages where the the cling film kind of sticks back to when you're done using it, and so you can carry your whole dungeon on a couple of sheets with you and um, assemble it as you go, or you know have it assembled. Uh, pre-assembled and change the room as different things happen and so that looks pretty cool and I I looked at the price points and they're very reasonable they're they're not they're not super expensive to get in for you know a single set so
1: yeah from what I saw on the on the kickstarter is that this is uh, fantasy right now I did write the guys and ask them uh, if they would ever be uh, looking at doing like modern or sci-fi uh, and they said that that is definitely a possibility. Uh, no real clear plans right now to do that, if I recall correctly. Um, but, you know, somewhere down, down the road, that could be something that they would think about. Very
0: cool. So yeah, check that out. The mystic mapping system.
1: All right. So let me see if I can screw this one up too.
0: <laughs> savage Drakenheim.
1: Drakenheim. Okay. Savage Drakenheim, city of bones for savage worlds, uh, Don't know a lot about it. It just went live. It's only a nine-day Kickstarter. Wow. So if you're interested, uh, I'm pretty sure that we'll have this episode out before these nine days are up. So just go to Kickstarter, check that out, click on the link on our page, and it'll take you right there.
0: Yeah, and this last one is one that you found that sounds actually pretty cool. I did.
1: Uh, You know, we talked about this, what makes Savage Worlds fast, furious, and fun, Uh, in one of our past episodes. We said theming. Theming makes it cool. Well, I saw on G+, uh, a Kickstarter for a gorilla deck of bicycle playing cards. And looking at that, the first thing that popped into my mind is these could work great for Day After Ragnarok.
0: Oh yeah!
1: Day After Ragnarok has sentient simians and monkeys. And that gorilla see being able to play with that gorilla deck would would suit that perfect
0: yeah plus like you know ascension gorillas are just fun anyways so i mean if your setting does oh, yeah. if your setting doesn't have them why not add some because you know
1: come on uh, man boon what a cool name
0: yeah absolutely chim
1: chim man z chim man z <laughs> i mean just i played a game of this uh at gen con a few years ago and when uh the guy running it brought out the simians i was just like oh my god i'm buying this setting and then you know i ran the the same game he ran he sent me all of his stuff uh and it was a great game the players had to actually go and rescue orville Redenbacher.
0: oh nice uh
1: and i called it the Redenbacher retrieval (laughs) Great game. A lot of fun.
0: Sweet. Yeah, there was a random, like, miniature site I was on, and they looked like older miniatures, kind of like, you know, at least a decade or more old. They were pewter, probably from Britain. Um, But I I found them through some other link. And on this guy's site, he had the most weird, eclectic mix of, like, historical uh, miniatures. And one of the sections of miniatures he had were all, like, you know simians apes gorillas chimpanzees in various like human anthropomorphic like nice so there was like the simian like ceo wearing a suit and tie there was a whole squad of like you know gorilla commandos with guns and i was like wow I, i i might just have to pick these up just because what game would not be better with just some random You know, more anthropomorphic, more human apes thrown in. And if you want
1: to do that really easy, there's a site out there uh, called paperfriends.uk. Awesome site for paper minis. He's got a whole section of Planet of the Apes. That's where I got my minis for uh, the Redenbacher game I ran. Awesome. We'll throw that up in our our links, too. Um, I just checked to see if it was still there because I had heard somewhere that it was taken down uh, but I was able to find it and bookmark it so I'll, we'll put that in, in the show notes for everybody but uk.
0: nice well with that yeah, thank you guys for listening to episode 9 of the Savage Cast uh, after a brief musical interlude we will give you uh, the second part of our crossover with the Wild Eye podcast so enjoy and we'll see you next time for our big milestone episode 10 thanks guys and reach out to us. Send us fan mail. Give us suggestions.
1: Please, please send us stuff.
0: Awesome. Hail Savages.
1: Hail Savages. All
0: hail. Hey Savage Cast. Welcome. Uh, this is part two of our crossover show with the fellas from the Wild Die Podcast. Part one is on their uh, podcast feed. We'll shoot a link on our post. Uh, They're over on Podbean. And, uh, our hosts, uh, from the Wild Eye are Jamie Pearson. Hello. And Eric Lamoureux.
2: Hello, guys.
0: So, if any of our listeners, uh, don't know you guys, uh, why don't you introduce yourselves and, uh, tell us, uh, how you got into gaming and, uh, how you found Savage World. So, uh... Well, shoot, Jamie, Jamie first.
4: Yeah, because Eric has a much more interesting background than I do. <laughs> yeah, save the best be, for his last. He's going to be long-winded. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he's be long-winded. It's just a much more interesting one. Mine is just, uh, I, I, I started, you know, like most people in uh, middle school or something like that, with uh, the same system everybody else starts with. Um, game for years and years and years. Stop for a while. gamed again, and then. Really got into gaming hardcore again and said, I'm going to do this podcast thing and started doing podcasting. And I actually found out about Savage Worlds just uh, just over a year ago at a convention up in Sacramento. And my first Savage Worlds game ever was Deadlands Noir and it was being run by John Goff. And so that was my introduction to Savage Worlds. I had always heard about it, never played it. And played it that first time, and I I was still like, I don't get it. And the next day, we played another game with Cheyenne Wright. And if you don't know his name, just look for any artwork in Savage Worlds. Chances are you're going to find Cheyenne Wright's name. And Cheyenne Wright, we did like a steampunk thing, and I was like, now I get it.
1: You didn't mess around. No, it, it was like... John Goff and Cheyenne Wright were your first two GMs
4: in Savage World. Exactly. Holy it, crap. Yeah. So it's
0: probably why you're on the podcast. You've been searching for the same feeling ever since.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm chasing the dragon.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so that was my introduction, and that's when I finally wrapped my head around uh, the uh, it's a universal system, never played one before, and I was like, okay, I'm stuck. I I don't see a huge need to play a lot of other stuff. So that that's my gig. All right, Eric. Lay it on well, us. I,
2: uh, <laughs> I started in the mid-80s with the Lone Wolf books that you played by yourself. I guess that that was my entry point. And then moved on to uh, Dark Eye, that's getting a translation in English right now through a Kickstarter, I believe. But uh, I, I played in French back then, and there was already a translation. Uh, so I started out, started out with that, and then went on to play bunch of different games in the mid-2000s, uh, that's where I found out that there were other gamers out there in the world on the internet, and uh, that really opened up a bunch of uh, new opportunities for me, and that's where I find out, found out about the Savage Worlds. I was following Keith Baker's blog back then, who's the creator of Eberron. And he, I remember he was talking about going to Gen Con and buying his Explorer's Edition. It had just come out. So I thought, well, if, if that guy likes Savage Rosa, maybe I should give it a try. And so I went and bought the book. And I read it, I think, five times over in a couple of days, just devouring it. And ever since, it's it's been my main uh My main system, I run other games too, but uh, that's definitely my go-to. I also do some conversion work for Smiteworks, the producers of Fantasy Grounds, so I do some Savage Worlds conversion uh, for them. I did the ETU and the War of the Dead module for them, and I write a little bit for Just Insert Imagination, and forget about it (laughs) yeah forget about it that that's all me yeah
4: that was (laughs) that one's actually gained a lot of popularity dude
2: i know i'm 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 impressed and i have to say we put that out pay what you pay what you want because we didn't know what it was worth and i have to thank all the generous donations for that It, it blew us away i mean we couldn't believe the the amount of money some people would pay for that, so we're working on more uh,
1: yeah, it's got with that. A, it's got a Savage Savage Worlds convention written all over it. It's what a great well, convention game.
2: Thank you. Well, that's the thing, because uh, I remember when I first got into Savage Worlds, and I was looking at the the website, and they had uh, bundles like uh, Tomb of Terrors, Crime City, Eye of Kilquado, and these are awesome you it's a whole bundle that, that everything that you need to run a game is in there and then ever since then we've seen a couple but not enough and like some people say when you want to see more of something and it's not happening well I'll make it happen so uh we figured that let's put out a bundle where uh Probably ninety five percent of what you need to run a game is in there and go ahead and have fun. And so far we've gotten really good feedback from that, so it's good.
0: Yeah, and it's that's it. it's funny you mentioned that like if you don't see it, you know, make it. The uh I, I I probably two weeks before you came out with Forget About it. So obviously you were working on it long before, but the uh I had posted up to the Rocky Mountain Savages forum like, Hey guys, let's do our own setting. Let's do mafiosos. And uh <laughs> So we came up with like the loose idea of calling it vendetta and um you know, we haven't flushed it out much yet, but I was like, you know, I had I figured, you know, there 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 is Deadlands Noir that kinda of touches on that, but there's not you know, let, let's just go full bore, you know, mafioso setting and uh and then you get you come out with forget about it. I was like, Oh man, someone else has got the same itch I do. Okay, I gotta get some good <laughs> uh, you know, mafioso playing in there. So it's kinda of funny how those things kind of uh roll around the zeitgeist i think
4: yeah and i have to tell you too eric i definitely picked up forget about it because it was perfect because my favorite movie of all time hands down is casino so i was like okay i have to pick up forget about it it's perfect
2: yeah that was big inspiration from that because my wife loves mobster movies. She, For a few years, I think she watched Casino every month. So uh, I'd sit down and watch it with her. And Joe Pesci, I mean, it's, oh, yeah. everybody wants to play a character like Joe Pesci. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what it's about.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that, that was kind of like, you know, obviously, uh, you know, your, your module made it to print already. Uh, but yeah, we were kind of talking about this, something similar like, hey, why don't we do – um you know the mafioso stuff in each of the major eras so and, and the eras are kind of defined by the movies that are you know like the Godfather picks you know the World War II kind of era mafiosos and you've got um you know scarface and um Goodfellas and Casino oh you, and have, then you, kind of,
4: you you have to put boardwalk Empire in there dude.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. Warlock Empire you know, is the you know the, the old, old the the originating part of it. Uh, yeah, the bootlegger part, and then you get to like the Sopranos era where you're talking, you know, um, you know, '90s, early 2000s. So there's, there's all these little kind of mafiosa eras you could break it down into. And
4: uh... don't give away yeah. too many of, of your ideas.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I just think someone like anyone out there is actually listening to us. But I'm taking yeah.
4: notes. Yeah, I'm I'm writing this down. It's all good. <laughs>
0: No, but it'd be kind of fun to do a community project or whatever where, uh, you know, you, you pick your era, you make the families, that kind of stuff. So, you know. I, a good I, idea. It'd, yeah, it'd be fun to put something together like that because, you know, there's no, the nice thing about it is there's no pretense of originality. I mean, right. you know, you're doing this system so you can play the movies. We all know what movies we're, we're playing. You know, we don't, we don't have to recreate the wheel or, or you know, Put a big spin on it, but if you if you want to play, it's kind of like doing Indiana Jones. Like, you know, you don't need to add in too much extra. If you want to play Indiana Jones, you know, there there are people who are publishing modules out there that are, you know, you've got the short round sidekick guy, you've got the the damsel in distress or the femme fatale, you've got the scientist, the bumbling scientist guy, and you've got your hero. Uh, you know, they, they they are publishing that because they're like okay, we know people want to play the three Indiana Jones movies. Yep. Um, so, yeah, why not, why not the, do it for the Mafia stuff? So that'd
2: be- That's the thing, though. I mean, because we, we've had a lot of people say, please make this into a full setting, and it's a good idea, but in practice, I think we'd have to find a way to include female characters into a setting like that. that to me, that's where... It, I'm not sure. We'd have to find the right angle with, with that aspect, because mobsters it's just it's just guys you've got the
1: male dominated
2: yeah and that's what kind of bugs me a little bit about it
0: true and i think that's kind of one of the questions that comes up in like the we've been doing some world building interviews um you know how faithful do you want to be to history and how how open do you want to have it to you know 2015 2016 sensibilities um I I don't know. Would you do you think you'd ruin mafiosos if you could just be a female capo or a female godmother? You know, I, I don't. To me, I think you could keep a lot Maybe of the not. same. You know,
2: I think it would need a, a, a certain spin to it, like Savage Worlds can do. I think I'd like to add a uh, like Area Fifty One uh, alien conspiracy spin to a setting like that that's that's where I would take it That'd be interesting, mafia... like
0: Vegas gets taken over by aliens and the only uh, they've got the military the aliens and the mafia are the three big players <laughs>
2: yeah that, that's, that's the very interesting. To, yeah don't sell <laughs> my ideas so <laughs> TM
4: coming soon on just insert imagination yeah, Vegas like is taken over by enough, aliens
2: <laughs> enough projects already <laughs> Oh my God! All right, so uh, over on over on the Wild
1: Eye, uh, we uh, answered some uh, listener questions, and so what we'd like to do is we've got a few more questions from some other listeners uh, that that we're going to tackle here on Savage Cast. So if you guys oh, we, we, are ready? We, we, we
0: promised before that though. We promised oh, we right. had the, the the Clint Black. What is the number one most asked rules question that Clint gets from savage people and okay, the say, answer
1: Don't say what it is Chris. I want okay, to see well, if, if Eric and, and and Jamie can guess it. I know what it is. I knew what it was when I talked to you on the phone earlier about it. So, if you had to guess Jamie, what's the what what Clint said is
4: the one rule question to rule them all? What is it? Oh god, I wouldn't even know where to begin with that. Uh <sighs> You know what I, I I honestly have to say I think I'm still a little too f- new, if you will, to Savage Worlds to really answer that question because right. I, I I couldn't say for sure. And
1: I, I yeah that, that's that's a good enough answer. So uh, Eric, how about you?
2: Uh, maybe if a character's already shaken and he someone gets a raise over him, does that mean two wounds or one wounds? He hey, a yeah. hey, Savage Bull. Yeah, Eric. Eric
0: nailed it. The uh, so yeah, that's the most uh, most often asked question is, how do you deal with someone who's shaken and then they receive either a shaken again or a, a wound again or whatever. So the uh, for the record, since we are slightly an educational show, the uh, if you're shaken, you take another shaken, you're wounded. If you're shaken and you take shaken and a wound, you're wounded. So in, in that regard. The if you're already shaken, um shaken in a wound and shaken, so whether they, they, they just meet your toughness or they get four above, they have the exact same effect. And uh likewise when you're soaking, the uh when you get rid of all the wounds, the shaking goes away automatically, even if you were shaken separately from the wound. Like if you got shaken in round one, you were still shaken in round two, and you got shaken again and got wounded or got shaken and wounded, um, if they, if you make a soak roll, you get rid of the shaken, even if it was yeah, there. I think
1: a lot of people miss that. I think a lot of people think that you're still going to be shaken, but the, the rules state that if you soak all the wounds from that particular attack, then you are no longer shaken.
0: Yes, but, even if the shaken was there before that attack. Correct,
4: yep. What happens if you only soak one of the three wounds? You're still shaken. That's, still yeah, shaken. that's what I thought. Yeah, you stay shaken.
1: You have you have to actually soak all of the wounds, and you don't take the penalties for the wounds that you you've just taken. That's something else that I think people sometimes get a little confused about. Um, If I if I take a shaken in a wound, and or a shaken in two wounds, and I'm rolling that vigor roll, it's not in a minus two. You don't take the my, the penalty for the wounds that you've just taken
2: for uh, the next wound. You wound, right, you know.
1: yeah.
3: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That's something I got wrong too. I remember years ago I was at a convention here, and uh, Tim Hannon from Buffalo came down to play my game, and I got the I got the shaken and wound uh, rule wrong, and he corrected me right away, and I still thank him. That, to this day that's that's all i learned that's that's all you learn really playing with other gamers too and you know, listening yeah. to podcasts
0: of yeah and it, it got <laughs> clarified in, in the deluxe edition so that question isn't as common anymore um because yeah, the other wording got updated so it's, it's more clear but that is the the most asked question of clint black over the years
1: So there you go. So we we now have the answer to that question. And I know that that they're making some changes on on the way that's listed, like you said, in the deluxe. I know that they have a little chart on the last Parsec GM screen that really spells that out very well. If you go and look on the Pinnacle Forums, there is, and I couldn't tell you where it is, just, uh, you know, search shaken rules, and there's a, a... Clint gave the answer, and he put a little chart in there. It's the same chart that's on the last parsec um, GM screen, and it really answers that question. And if they would just take that chart and put that into the core rule book, that question would be
2: gone. Yeah, I bet you'll be there next edition.
1: I would hope so. I really hope so. All right, so we ready to ready to move on to some some questions.
2: Absolutely. All right,
1: so I'll read this first one. This is from Ruben Smith Z- uh, Zempo. Hopefully, I said that right. Uh, he says one topic of great importance. I'm going to preface this by saying I, I, I see three topics. Yeah, I wonder which one of these is the important one. <laughs> but uh, one topic of great importance: the flow of bennies, hindrances, and how to GM situations. So let's talk a little bit about bennies. Bennies yes. are not hit points. No, uh, that's, that's that. They're not hit points. I've said that in a lot of other podcasts. Uh, I've had a lot of uh, heard a lot of other podcasters say that they're not hit points to allow you to do cool stuff. And I think the bennies need to flow. They need to be going back and forth. Uh, You guys will hear something if you go back and listen to part one on the wild guy that Jamie brought up about uh, some dirty tricks, which I kind of like. One of the things that I do, and I've taken this from one of our local GMs here, is that they only allow a player to ever have five bennies at one time. Because then, if you get to that five, you're going to be using them, and so it helps that flow a little bit, so that that player doesn't end that game with a stack of of you know eight bennies in front of them. And I've used that in in a few games. I use it at conventions, and it does help.
4: Uh, my my biggest thing though is when people talk about the flow of bennies. Again, me being you know the new guy here in the in the room, but um, the best example I have that when I listen to okay, let's just put it this way, your guys is. Um, Live play you just released of riffs, right? Obviously, I was not sitting at that table, but from what I could hear of what was going on, it seemed to me very much so like there was never a player that didn't have at least one Benny in front of him at any given time. Is that a fair assessment? That's true. Yes. yes. Yeah.
0: Corinne was running low. The uh, Corinne's the one that was, uh, she was playing the Avacar Flying Angel, or Flying Winged Elf. Um,. And she's the one who makes the Wookie noises when she yawns. Yeah. yeah okay. um, people were like, what, what, what was that? And that's, that's Corinne's yawn. It's very cute. Uh, she was low on Benny's kind of from the start. And, uh, but other than that, and I think she probably tried to keep one um, for most situations. But. Yeah,
1: Sean, Sean's pretty good about about giving them out.
4: But my, my only issue I had with that was is at what point in time did anybody ever feel like, do I really want to spend this? Sure, no, that's very true. That That's the only thing I could ever see is... I mean, if they're just flying back and forth across the table all night long, well, all you're doing is giving everybody a mulligan over and over and over and over. It's basically like saying, well, no matter what, in any given situation, I want you to succeed.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
4: I can see, sure. I can see the point to that, sure. So that's why me, personally, I like to sit there and constantly eyeball the players' amount of bennies that they have, and I will for lack of better words make them work as as this uh, topic was brought up I'll make them work those hindrances that's the biggest thing I'll ever award Bennies for is a player playing their hindrances and yes. so if I see them getting low on their Bennies they're gonna know well if I really want a Benny I need to start playing on my hindrances. So I think that that setting that mentality ahead of time makes him really consider do I really want to spend this Benny or not, and if so, I'm going to have to do something that is most likely not going to be beneficial to me in the first place just to get another one
1: yeah, that's like that uh, and we've said this before that that uh, Pavlov's dog you you reward the behavior that you want to see in your game, right. You know, Jib talks a lot about that from Happy Jacks. Um, you know, that that you reward behavior that you want to see in your game, and bennies allow you to do that. That's the treat that the person gets yeah. <laughs> for, for having the behavior that you want them to have. And I think hindrances go a long way. My, my thing with hindrances is that... You need to pick hindrances that are going to come into play. I see people pick hindrances, and I know this happens in other games, where they'll pick things that will never come up in play because they want the character build points that you get for taking hindrances. Mm -hmm. And I think if the hindrances are not going to come into play, then why have it? You know, I just... I'm getting ready to start a, you know a real short little Deadlands game kind of. I put another game on hiatus because of cancellations and I'm going to run another game for a little while and I've got two brand new players and I, I came right out and told them when they were creating characters, I said when you look at your hindrances look at things that are going to give you role playing chances. Don't just take a hindrance because I want the two points so I can get another edge. Yeah, that's great. That's kind of what they're for when you're building your character. But if they're never going to get played, you're never going to have that opportunity to get bennies for it. And don't look at hindrances literally if this makes sense. Uh, The the example I have of this is I ran a game, one of the very first Savage Worlds games I ran, and I tried to run it on Roll20. So it wasn't the first Savage Worlds game, it was my first time trying to roll uh, play on a roll 20. And I brought some, a lot of people in that I knew, and one guy brought a friend of his to the table, who I didn't know, and we were playing uh, using the, the pregens from Tomb of Horrors. And one of the characters has the mean hindrance. And he took the mean hindrance to mean that I'm going to be a dick and a <laughs> jerk to all of the other players, and he basically ruined my game in the first five minutes, and something else happened around Roll20, but uh, I I tried to whisper something to one of the other players and instead said to the entire table, (laughs) I'm sorry I didn't know this guy was going to be such an asshole. (laughs) Everybody saw it, and that kind of put a little kibosh on on how much fun we were having as well, but uh, mean hindrance doesn't mean you're going to be a jerk to all of the other player characters. It's surliness. It's Ebenezer Scrooge. It's just, you don't have to be a jerk to everybody because you have the mean hindrance.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of like one of my beefs on people who take pacifist in a game. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't allow it on my character sheets if I'm making up games. It's like, no, uh, I'm not, you know, the games I run are interactive, action oriented you know, cinematic violence, and I've never seen people play pacifism well. It's either, A, I sit out the combats, or B, I actively, cr- like, crap on the other players from, you know, like, we, we had a game, I, I had a game I was playing with, it. the GM was running, it was kind of like an X-Files game, and one of the players took pacifism major, and we're fighting against, basically, like, neo-nazis and this is before octon cthulhu was even a thing um they they were like a neo-nazi cult or they were pretty bad cult obviously bad guys like people who you're not afraid to shoot and they were had opened up a rift and they were bringing you know strange kind of lovecraftian things through this rift and the 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 one player decides that they're passive as a major i'm not going to go in on this raid on this compound and so they stayed in the car the whole game. And then when we didn't, like, fine, you're going to stay in the car. And then they got mad that we, like, didn't, the GM didn't, like, give them something to do. But, it's like, this is a raid on a compound. It is, you know, it, this is a police okay. action. You're FBI agents. Like, you have to do something here. Well, let me
1: ask you this. This was a con game?
0: No, this is a home game.
1: Okay. All right. Sorry. Because I was going to say, if this is a con game, that's totally the GM's fault.
0: Oh but, yeah, no, that's right. But my premise was when I run con games, I don't put pacifists. Right. Okay. Sorry streets. about that.
1: Yeah, because and, uh, yeah, if, that, if that was a player's choice, I'm sorry, but as a GM, it is not my job to give you something to do if you have the pacifist. You have decided by taking that hindrance that you don't want to be. You don't want You don't want to play during the combat. You don't want to take part in the combat.
2: Yeah, and the system. How is, we were that, playing how is it, that?
1: How is that my fault as a GM?
2: Yeah, well, exactly. I think I think you you guys are missing something though about pacifists. I had a guy play uh, Mad Scientist in Deadlands in a game, and he had no fighting skills, and he had pacifist major. And what he'd do the whole combat is are tricks. He just trick people. So I don't know. To me, it works.
0: Well, that's fine. I mean, that is a good example of how you yeah you have be to have the right players. You know, you, you, yeah. have to, you have to have the player who's still going to find ways to engage the story when you go into combat, and and you can do it. I mean, like for instance, I mean, I, I think the like take take X Files. The game was kind of built around X Files. Scully is a minor pacifist. She will not. She only harms. She does not harm innocence. The only time she fires her weapon is when Mulder or herself are in grave danger. Um... You can play that character, but you you come with the group. You interact. This person decided they're going to stay in the car, and it's just Aww. like, you know, the, that's just if you yes. can you there can there can be good passivism. I just don't find it particularly interesting. And you can play that way without having the hindrance. Like, um, I, to me, if I put it on a character sheet at a con, I think too often people will show up at a game and they won't be comfortable with editing a character. And they'll take that pacifism as, you know, you can't get involved in the combat. And,
1: yeah. um I agree with you. I don't think I would. I don't think I would put that on a convention character. Uh, I had a, a. I had a convention character who had it, and after the very first time that I ran that game, and I, I, I it was a three-part pirate game. I removed it right away because it was just too limiting, and that particular character imagine this never seemed to get chosen in the three games that i ran it and then when i took that off the next i ran part two he got chosen a couple times
0: yeah the here, here's a question on this topic the uh or similar topic so i was uh, running a, a deadlands game and i was going to run um, it was a, a group from Nebraska that was coming into Colorado, into Colorado Springs, um, and they were excited to get involved in our living campaign, the Deadland Twilight Legion. And so I was going to run for them a game I had run at a convention here called Murder Hobos. And it, the, the game is literally railroaded. The, the the plot is you are you spend uh, 70% of the time on a train. And the they, they sent me their characters beforehand, and one of the characters was a shaman who took the old ways hindrance major and the old ways says your character will not use modern conveniences, will not travel on trains or any modern, you know? And I'm like, wow, is this a, to me, I I looked at that. I'm like, this is almost a a hindrance on what the GM can put on your plate versus how the player plays. I I don't, I don't like it. I I actually don't like that hindrance because I was thinking, I'm like, I don't know a good way um, of allowing this character to interact with this adventure with that hindrance. And
1: uh, well, that would be that. That kind of leads us into, you know, he asks how to GM situations. Not sure what kind of situations, but how would you or how could you see GMing that situation? Because, like I said a minute ago. My my new kind of interim deadlands game. No one took, uh, you know, a, a native, uh, you know, Native American or a shaman. But I told them if they were going to, that I would prefer that they do not take the major version of that. Just for that reason, is it's it's too hindering. So I, I guess how would you guys? Can you think of of ways that you could GM that situation? Because as it reads, they would not get on a train.
2: Well, he doesn't have to get on the train willingly, right? It's not like he's going to explode if he gets on a train. Maybe someone put him there against his will. And now he's got to role play the whole session about hating that and how the spirits are going to curse him and uh, try to get off the train. Uh, that's probably going real fast, and that's going to kill him if he jumps down. That's that's one way. It depends on the hook on well, how and the that's the thing. get thing you
0: know, I, I can see I can see in media rest having the characters, you know, be forcibly put on the train. The problem was is the entire way I had written this, the players want to get on the train. I mean, they they opt. That's where the the adventure takes place. And it and the rules basically say like you do, you refuse, and it's like, oh man there's to me it was just like I, I didn't see a way around it, so I copped out and wrote a whole new adventure um instead of running that one because i'm like i, I don't see a way it's not I really would have had
2: hindrance. the guy change his character <laughs> just get rid of that hindrance yeah, and
0: that's the weird thing about I, I thought about it, but then I looked at the way it's written up, and it basically says, if you are a shaman, you have to take that that hindrance as a major and uh
2: like, wow. well, the, guy, the guy probably didn't know that this was the adventure would he have well, no, known
0: it so yeah. the, uh, it, to, to me I, I think in, in a way it almost it almost fails as a hindrance as written because it's not it's not a hindrance if you if you just wave it if the GM has to come up with a reason that it's not hindering the character it's not a real hindrance uh, at least on the character side, I mean, the GM should be getting points for figuring out a way around it. Um, and it, but it's not That's playable. A really good point. Like it, it's it's not playable. It, it, other hindrances give you minuses. You know, like they 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 change the die rolls, they change the probabilities. This one basically says, you know, I, I can pull it up and Google it and you see what the, the the actual text is. But it basically says you will not get on these things willingly. And you know, to me, it's almost like, is that interesting to play? Because it's. To me, a hindrance is interesting when it comes up in in the middle of your storytelling, and it, it, you know that's almost a hindrance that it, it'll never come up in the middle of the storytelling because your character just says no, and then you don't do it. it, it, it to, I don't know; it's it's kind of a black and white hindrance that. Um,
2: well, I, I, I see where. I see what you're saying but it's still got to hinder you that's why a hindrance is there if it's just for points then i don't know Mm. i mean you had an adventure laid out like you said on on tracks right there but uh in the middle of a campaign that might force that player to think of another way following on a on his horse right next to the train or uh you know, Tell the players, tell the other players, well, all right, uh, please uh, knock me out and put me in a box. and They'll be <laughs> up on the train and we'll get there and then I'll curse you when I come out. Uh, but, yeah, yeah no, I, I see what you're saying.
0: That, like, I was thinking, I mean, I, I looked and the guy, the character wasn't a high enough level character where he had access to, like, other shaman spells, like, that he could warg into animals so he could fly along the train or you know, you know not be on the train he could be an eagle and he could you know, he just didn't have access to those spells yet and so it was kind of one of those things where the, I just gave up and wrote a new you know, a new adventure and figured that you know, did this this one, I mean, I like the flavor of it if you're an author writing a book about a character um, and you can write around it but as far as like
2: you know playability
0: yeah I, I don't know another I don't know another hindrance that is so limiting well where you you give your players and everybody else can do something and that one player is just like sorry you just can't participate
4: well th- this is my take on it is uh, granted this would seem a little bit of a specific situation but hindrances can be for lack of better words worked off right now I understand you're saying that This particular shaman thing or whatever says it needs to have the old ways, but why not let that turn into something that is like a completely awesome RP session where maybe this shaman is learning a new way of the old ways or something like that? If that makes sense, do you you see what I'm saying? That
2: be considered a sin; he'd lose his powers. But But that's what
4: I'm saying. Just because it says it in this book doesn't mean it has to be that way, right?
2: Yeah, I guess you have a point.
4: Why not let it turn into a whole new story? I mean, the best example I've ever... story
2: arc is the, that character's journey right. into, you know, transition. Yeah,
0: okay. Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, it, it, it would fit in a home game where the GM knows this character's coming from the beginning, and the players would have enough. I mean, you could work... The, the players would know the other character who's there, what their hindrance is, and, you know, you could find a way of, like, okay, um, you're just going to have to ride ahead and meet us when the train stops, so you have to, like, sabotage the train or whatever. Um, that would be interesting if you had the time to delve into it. The, with me, I was like, you know, I don't know the players, and if, you know, it's kind of a con game because I'm running, you know, within the realm of, of these games are run at cons. I, as, a, as, a, as a novice or, you know, seasoned and not veteran GM, I couldn't think of a good way of um, uh, you know incorporating the character because like, I, I pulled it up and it says, uh, The Old Way's Oath. Um, as a major hindrance, the character won't even passively use any modern devices, refusing to ride in anything more complex than a horse-drawn wagon and unhappy to do even that. So uh, with me, with there, you, you, it kind of limits even Eric's good idea of like, yeah, you guys are gonna have to knock me out. I mean, that's kind of like the B. A. Baracus, you know, answer <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, oh, I gotta knock him out, you know, and then you know he'll he'll be pissed off with you know at the end. But um, yeah, to me, to me, it, I I don't see how a character can use that as a good role playing a launching point because well, it basically it me it makes them just say no. And sure, you can use it to like find a creative way around this, but. The problem the problem in Deadlands is what else did, that a, a shaman would have access to can go as fast as a train. You know, I mean, at some point, there, there's just not a good way around it.
4: Well, when you're talking um, about convention one-shots, so. I can completely see your point. But otherwise, I mean, that's got to be nothing more than a, a Session Zero group dynamic situation. Everybody has to understand this from Session Zero. Hey, man, I'm taking the old ways. So, you guys need to all have this understanding ahead of time and not just drop it on I think, somebody
2: yeah. i think I think that's important yeah the, I think, think that uh, uh, savage g m hangout just had a session uh an episode not long ago about the about the same kind of topic right uh, savage mommy
1: I think we the yeah, one yeah. about
2: uh the players coming in with uh Character concept that just doesn't fit <laughs> the campaign at all.
1: Right, and one of those is one of those that they talk about is a lot for me running a Deadlands Noir game, asking everybody to please have a reason to be working for this particular detective agency. You know, we were playing the in in 1950s Hollywood, which is part of, which was one of the three Deadlands Noir plot points, and you know. You're law-abiding somewhat, but you all work for this um, detective agency. And one of the players said, well, I'm going to play an assassin. Well, and I should have worked <laughs> with them. I should have come up with a better thing. I should have said no, but I didn't. It that, wasn't a great character. Yeah, and that it wasn't a character that fit what <laughs> I asked in Session Zero for.
4: Yeah, that, that's all got to be handled yeah. ahead of time because otherwise... You're just setting yourself up for absolute party failure. Yeah.
1: So, can you guys think of any more GM situations? I know that's kind of it's kind of broad, so it's kind of hard to answer. In my opinion, kind of answer what what Ruben's asking because I don't know if there's particular situations he wants to know about. Well, well Maybe here, here's, here's right one. Okay, right right
4: just kind of came the wild guy. That was a lot. All going so on at one time. Go
2: ahead, Erica. I've got a rewarding minutes. Yeah, I think probably the GM situations he was talking about was probably related to awarding bennies and uh, how hindrances can work into that. That That's just a guess because, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So I guess we probably answered it pretty well.
2: Yeah, he, well here's
0: a good one because uh, Jamie and I so recently appeared on uh, the Savage Cheer... Yeah, the Savage Cheerleader did a, a one-shot GM hangout or a, a, a G-plus hangout. Um on the TV show or the movie um, Zero Charisma, and one of the things that came up uh, in that conversation we talked about is that, uh, like, what sort of things your groups, you know, what human elements uh, are in your role-playing groups repertoire. And I made the comment that, you know, I'm an adult now, but I think a lot of the kind of things I I, I look for in role-playing are the same kind of things as when I was in middle school. So, for instance, you know. I don't really role play adult sexual situations in games. Um, and uh, that'd be, uh, that's kind of an interesting question, kind of came to mind when it's like, you know, how do you GM? What happens as a GM if your player wants to do something as a character that you're not comfortable running or, uh, or is outside of like your campaign? So, yeah, you know, if, you're, if you're running uh, you Indiana Jones running campaign. And,
4: yeah, it, for me, it's just yeah, quite You just simply. sniff it out
0: right, right, right at the beginning.
4: Yeah, like for me, it would be like, "What's this really going to do for the session? If it's going to do something positive for the 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 storytelling and for the group, sure, let's let's get her done. But if it's just so you can get some magical rocks off or whatever, then save it for later." (laughs) Yeah, I agree.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, personally, I'm I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're having problems with the audio here.
4: All right. Yeah, yeah
2: you
1: us, Jamie. I, and, the is
4: kind of coming uh, You guys are all coming through fine on my side.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. Well, the uh, 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 here, here's an example that like it wasn't sexual in nature, but uh, at the last convention we had a GM running a game where um, the the game was set in an like a, a Disney style amusement park, and um, so. The, um,
3: <laughs>
0: so the GM was running a, 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 a Disneyland game. So it was kind of a lighthearted game. The player characters were in the park. And one of the players at the table during the first scene starts, like, knocks over a little kid who's misbehaving in line. Um, and then, like, curb stomps up. And the GM was kind of taken aback at just, like, the the extreme violence in a game that hadn't gone there yet it wasn't i mean it was like you guys are in line at disneyland and there's a little kid who's running around the line and you know the 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 player character just decides to go murder hobo on little kid and and the the gm uh they they had to take the player aside and be like listen this is not that game that you know know, yeah i don't know i don't know what you think we're playing but we're not playing you know curb stomping little kids in the head and uh, so it was interesting, I've never had that in a, in a game. I've never had players, you know, not get the gist of what's going on. But the the GM was kind of concerned on, like, what do you do? And, I uh, you know, do we have permission to kick people out of our games or, you know, whatever. And and uh, my advice to them was that if you're the GM, your game is your living room. So it doesn't matter if you're at a convention or a game store. If, if someone goes off the rails that you don't know, like, by all means... Be an adult about it, pull them aside from the other players first, so it's not a, a public shaming, but be, you know, lay down the rules of, hey, guys, this is, you know, this is the way we're going to play it. And if, if, if that's not okay with you, you know, go get your money back for your ticket or, you know, uh, find another game to play in. But um, in general, Savage Worlds, I don't think encourages that, that style of player, that style of players, but uh, it, it does happen every once in a while that you get some people that are just just don't mix when you're when you're running games in public
4: and well then what it sounds like to me is uh the best example you can give in uh, on a even a broad spectrum of how to GM situations with the example you're giving is right from the word go especially convention style games if you're sitting down at a table you know almost rule number 1 set the tone from the word go set the tone let people know look this is not acceptable this is the style of game we're going to play so if you're thinking that you're going to be the kind of person that's going to curb stop a kid, this is not the game for you.
0: Yeah, no that that yeah, is good. I, I think we agree. mentioned that like way back in like episode 1 on how to write a blurb for your game. Yeah, put the expectations in the blurb. So, you know, people who are sitting down know what they're getting into. Um yeah, that, that way you don't, you, don't, you know, it, it's better to avoid problems and prevent them than to have to deal with them on the fly because you've got, you know, a table full of hopefully other willing participant adults and no one wants to take time out of their their evening or their family time or whatever to, you know, have to deal with a, a player who just didn't know what the expectations were. So
1: it so, uh, looks like, uh, so Ruben, hopefully we, we got some uh, some good stuff there for you. So I think we kind of taken that question... Uh, as far as we can, so to a whole uh, new level,
2: to the new level. So, <laughs>
1: Pure Mongrel asks the question. So, Chris, do you want to take this one, and we'll kind of talk about uh, how we're going to go about tackling this question?
0: Yeah. So he sent this in to the guys at the Wild Die oh, because for some uh, reason you guys don't send us email. Man, <laughs> send us email. We, we need to. We, we feed off of your 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 uh, your your interaction with us, and we're all getting too thin. So Sorry, the, let me um real quick, Chris. Yeah,
1: one thing. Uh, I need this done in the style of Steve Irwin.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I'm dead. uh, Yeah. Oh wait. Okay. Look at that
4: stingray.
1: uh, (laughs) Uh,
0: Mate. Paul
1: Hogan. Yahoo! (laughs) Serious.
0: Oh Yahoo! Serious. Wow. We are going back. The uh, oh man, we should do a 1980s Australian. That'd be a great game. Just like all all the the, like Australian personalities. Savage Crocodile Dundee. Yeah,
1: so yeah. Here's a reason why, the reason why I brought this up so go ahead Chris sorry
0: no this actually is great okay so here's the deal I was, <laughs> th- th- this fits right in we'll get to pure mongrels crush in a second the uh, I, I was an us. <laughs> yes of course the uh, I, I was a child of the 80s and my parents had HBO and I could watch whatever I wanted on HBO and back in the 80s it was like an HBO movie called Fortress. And it was Rachel Ward plays this Australian school teacher. She's out in the outback. And it turns into this, like, survival horror where Rachel Ward is the teacher and her group of, like, middle school kids have to defend themselves from a group of masked bandits. And they're wearing, like, a Father Christmas mask and a gorilla mask and a duck mask, and they're just horrifying. And uh, for some reason, they want the kids dead or the kids witness something, so they've got to kill them. And so it kind of goes out into like the uh, the the outback of Australia, and they're 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 trying to like set up traps and kill these bad guys. Who
4: who they, wrote this movie? Was it the guy that you were talking about in your Disneyland game?
0: I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, the, the player who decided to curb stomp a little kid at Disneyland uh, came up with. A, but it was on HBO and it was called Fortress, and uh, you know with with the, with Sounds the awesome. uh, yeah, it was a good movie. We'll have to have a movie day one night, but it's a good, it's a good setting for a, uh, um, a one-shot. So Maybe we'll put Australian, Australian personalities uh, in the outback, fight to the death, kind of Mad Max meets Yahoo! Sirius. Okay, anyways, <laughs> so Pure Mongrel writes in to you guys from the wild eye. He says, Good day from Australia. I discovered your podcast only recently, but have caught up. I've really enjoyed your show and have found it inspiring. Uh, I've been looking to create my own campaign world, near future conspiracy whore. And I need, uh, am I either doing Jersey or Australia? Yeah, that's I mean, absolutely I'm not sure. horrible. I started dude. Australia and it just went
2: somewhere. I don't know Yeah, where. it I mean, went somewhere.
0: somewhere. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Um, so, New Zealand, uh, maybe. <laughs> exactly. I, I think I'm going to get stabbed in my sleep by the entire nation of Australia. <laughs> uh, um,
1: I, I, I have just given you a, uh, a Benny for that, so there you
0: go. <laughs> nice. Okay, so the uh, near-future conspiracy horror game, and uh, he needs a set of rules to work with. He says Savage Worlds seems to tick all the boxes, which it does. It is actually a really good system to use for near-future conspiracy horror. And um, he says, Unfortunately, no one in my area has played Savage Worlds, so I am learning from scratch. I am eager for a brief breakdown on combat melee range vehicular magic superpowered etc um keep up the good work so first thing first um the savage mommy and i will be coming out in the next uh maybe month or two with some like savage worlds 101 episodes where we will walk you through basically if you don't want to read the book um we'll do the basics and and do a real play but it it won't be like a real play like we've done with riffs it'll be a uh, kind of a little more simple and scripted real play, but it'll be from from beginning to end. So it we yeah, just be with, probably
1: just Chris and I.
0: Yeah, and we'll have it like we're the GM. We'll start with the GM side. We're like how to prepare a game from scratch, and then from the player side on how to do it. So the um, yeah, let's go around. Let's go around the four of us, and we'll talk about okay. So what are the things that a new player needs to know about melee combat?
1: Melee combat target number is four. Nope. You already got it wrong, fella. In melee, no target number is your parry. In melee. <laughs> there you it's go. Your parry you know in melee. We're,
4: we're here to and confuse
1: you, beer mongrel. <laughs> you, roll, you roll to beat their parry, and if you beat their parry, uh, then you roll for damage to beat their toughness.
0: Yeah, Equal so or better. Yep. There's no there's no active defense. No. So you're, you if you're going to get hit from any ranged weapon, it's a four unless you've got cover or distance penalties, but. If you're in close combat, you know, or short range, and no di- no distance, no lighting, no cover, it's a four. They have to hit a four or better on their die to hit you. Um, if they're in close combat with a melee weapon, it is a against your parry. Um, no active defense. The only way you can improve your defense is on your previous turn. You can take um, certain maneuvers that improve your defenses. So you can uh, duck for cover to help from range combat. Um or you can go like full defense, which gives you a plus two to your parry. Um stuff like that. So that's um for- you know other than that there isn't active defense. You're not you're not rolling off against another character um for combat.
4: For me it was always just the simplest way I put it is melee is parry, ranged is four, and in either case to put some wounds on them it's over their toughness. Just yep. that simple. Yep.
0: Yeah, and everything everything in the game is on the uh, a gradient of four. So the um, toughness is your shielding. If you meet the toughness, um, they are shaken. If you get four above their toughness, that's one wound. Eight above, two wounds. Twelve above, three wounds. Same thing when you're attacking. If you get um, if you get the four, if you're ranged or if you get their parry uh, on the dot or up to three above. Um, you know you get to roll damage against them um if you get a if you get more than four above or four or more above so if they're if you roll an eight or better on a ranged attack or let's say their parry is a six if you get um ten or better on a melee attack you get an extra d6 on your damage damage goes against um their toughness so
4: Um, and the important thing to remember too and this is a mistake I used to make and I'm going to assume it happened to a lot of people in their first learning the rules is you do not get a wild die on damage rolls
2: no correct just for trait tests Yeah. so attributes and skills
4: now vehicular (laughs) Um, that one I'm still like completely out of the I I don't know it. I and I will
1: tell you I've been playing Savage Worlds for I don't know five plus years, and I've never used the vehicular combat rules.
4: Have you ever?
2: Neither. Oh no. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I use I use chases.
1: Yeah, I've used chases, but the actual vehicular combat rules I have never used.
2: The uh,
0: and uh, bringing vehicles into combat, like for instance, if you want to have like a motorcycle with a sidecar. In a pulp game, um, one thing I'd tell GMs on style is that um, only have people roll driving rolls for things that they're likely they have a good chance of failure at. So I you don't necessarily if they're in combat doing maneuvers, by all means you can have a driving roll every round. But if you're going to do a group. Um, where you know they get in the car and they're they're just going to drive down a regular street and there's not much of a hazard, you probably don't need to ask for a driving roll. Um, you know, do if you they're gonna, still if,
2: have them spend an action though, so that if they want to do something else, it will count as multiple action to still control the vehicle or no?
0: Oh, sure. If the if, if the driver wants to do something in addition to driving, sure. Um, but I, I, I often see, like to, to me, uh, people are, in general, not going to dump a lot of points into driving um, or not even have the skill, even though, I mean, technically, 80 to 90% of adults um, you know, know how to drive a car. Maybe not well, but certainly better than a D4. Um, I mean, considering, like, if the consequences of failing a driving role or that the car goes out of control, just consider how often that happens With normal people mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think that's, that's my one I've seen a lot of GMs Do that, make a driving check And then it goes wrong In situations where it just doesn't make sense Or it's all that interesting For it to go wrong um, right. But if you're, if you're running a combat Or it is interesting for driving to go horribly wrong um, By all means But to me it's like You don't ask people to make a walking roll Or <laughs> to make, you know so unless it's a maneuver or they want to do something interesting while driving, but in general, like you get in a car and you're going to go to the ammo store or whatever. Um, I don't know if I, or maybe yeah. ask for one roll for the entire trip.
1: Versus- if failure is not going to do anything for you, don't ask for the role. Pretty much. That's, that's, yeah. that's the, the simple thing about that.
0: Absolutely. There's
1: no consequence. You shouldn't have to worry about making the roll, and I see a lot of people have people make way too many notice rolls. Yes, yeah. and I notice that in in adventures and and things that are written out, even from Pinnacle. Like I just ran a one sheet last week for that for that Deadlands group, and they're they're writing into they're writing into town, and in the middle of the town square there is there are like wooden. Teas uh, with bodies on them, and they and it says have the characters make a notice roll to notice the wooden teas with the bodies in the middle of the square. Uh, why? How would, you,
0: how would you miss it?
1: Exactly, and I'm like thinking to myself, why? Why is that a notice roll? And I see that a ton is. I think to myself, why is that a notice roll? Why would they not see that?
2: How yeah, if it's an important see... clue, yeah, if it's an important clue, don't. Don't have him roll yeah, it. Uh, that
1: that was a, a written one sheet from the Pinnacle site. And I was just like, I, I don't think somebody read that very well. Because that just didn't make any sense to me.
0: Too yeah too many rolls. I, I fall into that trap. I use notice checks as an excuse for me to give GM exposition. <laughs> like, I'm going to make you guys think I'm not just talking at you. So make a notice roll, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, you know? So I, I definitely do fall in that trap.
4: Um, so this is the other one, too, he put on there is magic. That one, it, it might seem odd at first, but it's actually really easy. It's just like everything else. It's a trait roll, and you're looking for the target number of four.
1: Yep. yep. And, you, and, and magic, you trap it. That's a big thing. Yep. Add trappings.
4: There doesn't need to be
1: five different kinds of bolt spells. There's a bolt. Exactly. What does your
4: bolt look like? Yep. Does, That's
1: what matters.
4: Does it come from between your toes, or is it coming out of your eyes? I mean, how right. do you want to describe it? You know,
1: they, they jib mentions this a lot, and I think it's a very valid point: is that that Let me see if I get this right. That Savage Worlds doesn't care what something looks like. That's up to you. Mm-hmm. It has rules for what it does. Savage Worlds looks at what does it do, not what does it look like. Right. That's up to you. And so with magic, put those trappings on those magic powers.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the powers are just templates. You need to work them out. Some settings will do the work for you, but if you're going by the deluxe rules, these are just templates. It's the same power from a weird scientist. And then a spellcaster is going to look different and feel different too with the backlash if you if you roll a one on your spellcasting or weird science die. So.
4: And the the one thing that's going to change because, like you're saying, a bolt from a wizard is going to have the same exact mechanical effect as a bolt from a patent scientist. Exactly. It's all it's it's all about making it all trappings. Just make it sound cool.
0: Even if even if, let's say your character is a supers character who's got a magical bow that shoots arrows that you can just call that a bolt yep. I mean the, the arrow from your bow and arrow is a bolt and the uh, and, you know, they're using their shooting skill versus their arcane skill but the, I, the other thing to, to warn pure mongrel about is that a lot of people um, they, they change the magic and supers rules based upon their settings. Uh, So, for instance, in Deadlands, there are several different forms of magic. There's, you know, a blessed, which is more like a cleric kind. And on those, you really have to read all the rules on them because they operate almost the same, but there's differences. So, for instance, some characters have access to any spell they want. Other characters have access to only spells they buy as additional powers. Um... The, but but in general, almost always, you're you're rolling against one skill, whether it's faith or um, arcane, you know, um,
2: spellcasting, uh,
0: with, you know, spellcasting, faith, um, and then you're you're looking for a four. Um, the uh, you know some systems they they do stuff where like you if you have access to all the spells, they're limited by um, how hard the spell is. So spells that are your same level. Are easier, but if you want to go up a level, you're getting minuses to your roll. Um, that's that's how they handle you having access to you know a bunch of spells, um, but not not being the same uh, you know as a, as a novice character, as a seasoned character, or a veteran character. So that that there are multiple ways of doing magic, and a lot of settings um, will have one or more of them. Like um, you know, like Deadlands, it's, it's different. Like the shamans are different than the blessed, or different than the hucksters, or different than the weightly blooded. Um, Very much so,
3: so.
0: So it it is in that in that sense. If you're playing that setting, you got to read them all. Um, they're not they're not impossible to learn, but it is the reason they do it that way is for flavor. I mean, they they, they do play differently, um, and it, it is more fun. It is a little harder to GM because you're like, okay, wait a minute. You know, do they have access to all the spells, or do they have to, to know exactly what spells that they already have access to? And um, but if you're just running your own campaign, and obviously you picked um, near future conspiracy horror, you can run your magic out of the basic book, or you can pick up the sci-fi companion um, and read about you know somehow it's some ways to handle sci-fi um, kind of uh, super skills. Um, but you, you can run it out of the basic book uh, or the you know, the deluxe book. Yeah, um, there's a, there's enough in there to just run it straight up um call your stuff powers and um the uh and, and run it straight that way and, and if you're not getting the flavor you want you can start looking at how other settings do it or look at, at some of the extra options in the the super powers companions um and stuff like that but the uh there are options there that, that that is where savage worlds can get more complicated is by you know having all the options available to your characters but on the straight up, you know, novice GM novice players just run it like a target of 4 on their spellcasting skill yes. and then that gives them access to it. That's that's easy enough and everything else can be trappings.
1: And um, don't uh don't don't try to tweak the rules. Play it first, play it as is, play it, play it rules as written. Get those rules down because making even small changes to the rules can really cause some weird tweaks to yes. the system.
4: And I think that's something that Eric and I touched on in the last episode of Wild Die, too, is look at the setting rules first and foremost in in the deluxe book and make sure and cherry-pick those things that you like. And then, uh, like, you know, you guys are saying, look at other settings, too, and just cherry-pick the stuff that you like because almost every setting has its own setting rules to it. Yeah.
0: uh, How about you guys? Um, Do you guys have recommendations for existing Savage World settings that are out of the box um, good for near-future conspiracy horror? Any come to
2: mind? Nemesis?
0: Yeah, Nemesis is a good one. I think um, uh, Interface Zero um, can play that. Um, I think Kerberos Club... No, Kerberos probably said in Victorian. And what's the one that's uh, yeah, that... Agents of Oblivion?
1: I um, think Agents of yeah. Oblivion would probably be one of the one of the best ones for it.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Because yeah. it's got those different. You could put different things together to basically build the type of game you want. So I'm sure you could get your your the near future conspiracy horror out
2: of Agents of Oblivion.
0: The uh, yeah, Charles White's also coming out with a system hopefully soon. Um, it's near future. It's conspiracy, not as much horror, but it's got the uh, it's Olympus Inc. So it's kind of like um, Shadow Run with uh, the Olympus the Olympic gods. Oh yeah, it's kind of
4: like uh, oh what is it Percy Jackson?
0: Yeah, Percy Jackson Shadow Run. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's horror on the horror end, but you know you might get some good ideas about. Futurism from that that setting. So,
4: and the, if the the horror side of things, I mean, there's always the horror companion first and foremost. Yes, and uh, you can always tap into uh, realms of Cthulhu too.
0: Yes, yeah. realms Cthulhu. Ooh, yes, realms of Cthulhu. The um, yeah, the uh, that is a fun system, and um, and you can. There's also there's a, a World War II uh, Cthulhu game out. Um, that the, the name just escaped me. Act um, uh, Two. Uh, yeah Octon Cthulhu Octon Cthulhu um, it's not near future but there's some cool ideas in there um, that wouldn't be too hard to reskin um, with near future versus uh, World War 2 era so Necropolis also
2: 2350 oh, yeah. yeah yeah, yeah. that's games. more a military game yeah
1: yeah but again you could probably s- steal
4: bits and pieces Oh
2: yeah, yeah. from Always- that
4: one Savage World man cherry pick
2: yeah
1: yeah, there's enough stuff out there. But really, like, like, like Chris said, I think you could build that game with core rules, sci-fi companion, and the horror companion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You take those three, you could build the game you want using those three.
4: And especially uh, from the uh, horror companion, the sanity rules. That's really going to help a, a horror game.
0: Yeah, exactly. And if if it's near future, you might not even need the sci-fi companion. I mean, you could really do it...
1: Uh, Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, straight up from the the, the core book. So, the... uh, Yeah, so I I suggest uh, a mongrel pick... um, You know, pick one of the magic schools. The basic one is fine. And uh, play it with trappings first. And see how far you can get with trappings. And trappings don't have to be just descriptive. They can be mechanical i mean you can say the trapping for your if if your bolt spell is a as a fire trapping you can say on a raise you can set something on fire um or you know if if it's an ice ray you can say you know on a raise the character is shaken um you know which which represents you know them being covered in a thin layer of ice um or things like that um you, know, you, you can add mechanics to the trappings that go along with them if they make sense. So, for instance, a, a trapping of, of of an electric bolt um, could have a chance to short circuit computer systems yep. if you're you know or, or you know, whereas you know otherwise you know not. Um, so yeah, you could the trappings can give the GM and the players license to do. Cool, mechanical, crunchy things
4: as well. The the biggest uh-huh. thing, too, with Savage Worlds is, again, embrace the trappings. Don't rely on the book to tell you what it does. Rely on yourself to tell you what it does because it's it's one that's one of the learning curves. It shouldn't be a learning curve, but I guess it's unteaching yourself from previous systems that we've all played a lot of where the book tells you everything, every last little thing that you should know about said spell or whatever. Let trappings, man, your 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 imagination is the only limit to it.
0: Oh, and that, that brings up a good point. Um, always remember, unlike say A D and D, where the only person who could ever attempt to pick a lock would be was a thief. Mm-hmm. Because no other character had lock picking on their sheep. Savage Worlds, there aren't fixed classes, so everyone can take most every other skill. If you don't have a skill, you can always try things unskilled. Uh, there is some GM. I mean, for instance, you, you know, in in, in a, a pulp game, you might want to allow an unskilled bomb defusal check <laughs> because you know the hero might just pull the right wire. But you might not want to. You know, in, in, in a horror game, you might want to say, "Yeah, no, there's no way. There, you know, the, I'm not going to allow you an unskilled roll." But for for the vast majority of stuff, players can roll a D4 minus two. Which means you roll the d4, you roll your wild die, you subtract two from both. Um, your wild die gets the minus two as well. Um, some people read that wrong and, and they read right off their wild die. Um, How
2: about unskilled brain surgery? True. Well, <laughs>
0: again, you you might it might be it might be one of those things where you pull the bone shard out and the guy doesn't die, or you know, so you'd allow it, or you'd say, sorry, you know, you need to get this guy to a doctor. We're going to play this where. You know, you need someone (laughs) with some skill or else there's no chance. But
4: he's an amateur
1: dentist.
0: (laughs) (laughs) dentist. We
1: got into a big, big discussion about this on on the the GM Hangout about whether people should be able to try stuff like that or not. I'm of the impression that no, they shouldn't. Uh, Most of the other people were of the impression of, hey, that's why we have dice. Let the dice hit the table. If the unskilled guy manages to do the brain surgery, then so be it. And you've got a hell of a story to tell uh, afterwards.
4: Well, I think that you could separate the two uh, much like you would a knowledge skill versus a common knowledge skill, if that makes sense. Because common knowledge is just like, well, sure, I know that street's over there. But taking the knowledge skills says, well, that street over there was built in 1965 and the foreman on the job happened to be named blah, 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 blah. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, uh, you might you might do the unskilled brain surgery at a minus six. Yes,
4: yeah, yeah. Well, I know there's a brain in there. So, hey, let's have at it. <laughs> have at it.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, sure. I, I think that one does come down to, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what we said before. If there's really no consequence of failure – don't have them roll. Well, here, it, 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 don't have the char- if The characters, you know, sorry, you don't have astrophysics, there's no chance in hell, in one round you're going to be able to figure out what the orbit of the satellite needs to be to save the guys. You know, if, if, if there's no way that they can succeed, don't make them roll. I mean, right. Because,
3: Right. The dice will come
0: against you. Just say no. Just say no.
1: Sometimes you have to I I know that's a big thing. Flopa. You you shouldn't say no. You should say yes and sometimes you gotta say no.
4: (laughs) I think Eric brought up the best point of why you should say no. Brain (laughs) surgery. Enough said. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, Maybe common sense needs to come into play.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, and, like, I mean, like, like the, I stayed one, sum, one summer in college, the lady's house who I rented, um, she was, uh, she, back in her day, took her Volkswagen Beetle from, like, France all the way um, through the, like, Khyber Pass, and she was in the Khyber Pass, and she got um, appendicitis, and there was an avalanche, so they couldn't get her out either way. And so she did her own appendix surgery. She took out her own appendix um and survived it. so I'm like, you know there are some times where Whoa. an unskilled role you can you can make a good story out of it, you know like cool. this this lady takes her own appendix out, and yeah yeah, you know, this so should
2: I mean, be a movie, yeah, I know.
0: Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, yes. think
1: that might, I think that might be a good a, good, a good end point for uh, his question. Yes, you can take your own <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. out. So,
0: it's basically, if you're the GM and you think of a good way where your players can succeed and you know what they, happens if they fail, by all means, give them an unskilled. But if, if you don't want that your, your plot to go there and it doesn't make sense, yeah, do say no. I mean, you don't always have to say yes. I because what if you say yes, and they succeed, and you have nothing in response? Like, that's not any, that's not any more fun than being like, sure. no, I want you guys to solve this some other way. Right. You know, so. Yep, I agree. Yeah, be, be your own advocate, too. GMs deserve to have fun.
1: Yeah, it's a two-way street. It's definitely yeah. a two-way street.
0: So, last question um, from Donald Weller. The, uh, he says, um, "So you guys on the the Wild Eye, uh, you discuss plot point campaigns. Now discuss making one." Okay, so this is totally a long conversation.
4: <laughs> it is. The, um, yeah. How
0: well, how about instead we say, "What are have you guys played in a plot point campaign,
2: and which one is your favorite?" Well, I think Blaine is working on one plot point campaign, right?
4: <laughs> well, we'll see if he actually has one when he gets back or not. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Blaine's currently stuck up in Alaska. Well, I would say pipelines. discuss making
1: one. Uh, Matthew Cutter just put out a great little uh, how to write a plot point campaign.
4: Yeah, that's true. So go
1: to the Pinnacle site and look up Matthew Cutter's article on how to make a plot point campaign, and that—that's that, the easy answer. Yep.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think beyond that, we'll let well, yeah, we'll let Matthew Cutter's thing digest in the community for a while uh, Savage mommy and I are both working on some projects that may or may not include plot points. Um, so we can talk about those after they're out and maybe we'll, you know, after the fact is a little easier to talk about than in the, right in the middle of, um, but the, uh, to answer my own question, I, the war of the dead is actually a pretty nifty plot point campaign. Um, I know Eric mentioned he's done some work on that. Um, the, or played it. Um, it's a zombie think, horror
2: game. And, you think War of the Dead is a plot point campaign? I oh, think yeah. it's, yeah, I think it's a scripted campaign.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> That's, That's where I disagree. There's oh, no yeah. plot points there. It's just week after week. Yeah. When it was released, you, you you would release one episode every week for like a year. That's how he made all the four seasons and there's no the it, it just one after the other. Yeah, because I that, don't think it's a plot point campaign at all.
4: No, because that's the important thing about War of the Dead is it takes you in a direction. Well, it literally takes you in a direction, but there are certain events that happen on a very specific timeline. So yeah, I, true, I couldn't true. call that, that a that plot is, point campaign. That is
0: a, a an astute observation. So again, yeah, what is what makes a plot point campaign distinguished from um, other campaigns like War of the Dead, which is Fully scripted. Well,
1: it's seven to eight key plot points with a bunch of savage tales in, that you can put in between. You can come up with your own savage tales. But the plot is ongoing, but it there's nothing to say that you have to go from Adventure 1 to 2 to 3, so on and so forth. There is enough leeway that you go from Adventure 1 and then you run two or three small adventures and then you come into Adventure 2. Right, um, right now I'm running The Flood. This is my second time I've run it and I've been running it for this group for almost three years now. Oh crap. Because we only play twice a month so it's been and we're we're only it's seven plot points and I think we just finished plot point five.
2: Yeah, the first three are right in a row, I think. It's yeah, the first but I
1: put I put a lot of other stuff. Right now, I'm running the last parsec. Um, you know, I'm running that plot point. I was running uh, until it went on hiatus. I was running fifty fathoms, and you know that's the same thing. There's like seven or eight plot points, and I think we've done three of them, and it's been about a year.
4: That that I was gonna name off the flood is one of the ones I really enjoy. I I I haven't got to run it yet. Um, I did enjoy what I've read of it so far, which is just over half of it. I mean, I, I went and took in the cliff notes, I guess you could say, but I I thought it was a cool one. I liked it.
1: Oh, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of fun. Like, yeah, this is my second. I, this is my second group that I've run through it.
4: And I am interested in finishing reading Degrees of Horror. <laughs>
1: I'm actually playing in that right now, as a player yeah
4: yeah well let me tell you what happens in your sophomore <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> uh, well to be
1: honest with you but I didn't know that the guy was gonna run it and I was planning on running it so I've read it oh. so I'm,
4: I'm playing dumb yeah that's that's but a, that's a tough spot as a player the,
3: but the
1: good thing about a plot point campaign is that he has changed some things so it even keeps me on my toes oh that's good you know he's moving something and changing some things and oh. and like I said this earlier, my memory is so bad that I can't remember half the stuff I read anyway. So
3: <laughs>
1: it doesn't—it it doesn't really matter. I'll forget what what I read within a couple days. <laughs> I'm getting ready to run. I'm getting ready to start Coffin Rock tomorrow, and I've read it like three times already, and I still feel like I'm forgetting stuff.
4: I I tried to run that one, but we got through chapter one, and my buddy was like, "Yeah, that's some freaky crap going on here. I'm gonna leave."
1: Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow, to see how long they're gonna stay there.
4: Yeah. It, it that's a fun adventure. It's really cool. I love the adventure, but I was kinda like, Oh Alright then, I guess we'll do something else. Guess you're moving on. <laughs> Let's yeah. go to
2: Denver. Yeah, it'll be yeah it'll be And great. we did
4: it'll be
1: very interesting to see what happens with it. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's that we we kind of answered Donald's question as much as, as, as we want to go into a, kind of a short answer. So uh, that's all the questions. So I want I, to. I,
0: I got a few more for these guys. I got a few <laughs> more minutes. Let's, let's do some rapid fire. So okay. the uh, GM or player, which do you prefer to be?
2: GM. GM for me too.
0: Yeah, Fox is the GM. I'm the only player in the room. Okay, yeah. the
2: uh, player they're... is too hard, too difficult.
4: It, 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 my, yeah, I, I'm too much you, of an you, ADD child. I can't handle being a player.
2: Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> no control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you're
4: just a you're just a control freak. Got yes, you.
2: yes. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, that's me. Nice. Okay, so <laughs> tra-
0: traditional D and D party. Uh, what character do you play? The paladin, the thief, the ro- you know, the ranger. What's your what's your avatar in that
2: game?
4: I used to um, always want to play a wizard, but somehow or another, I always ended up
2: playing a ranger. Uh, I'm more the rogue type of guy. Yeah. What about you, Fox?
1: Fighter. I'm boring. I'm a fighter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I think I, 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 I end up playing mages more, but I... I Again, I never learned how to do magic well in those systems. So it was always a pain in the ass. I was always the guy like, "How many... I have to memorize spells? This is so
2: lame."
1: Um, but in Deadlands, I played a blessed nice. I loved that character.
0: Yeah, so that is what fun. I like about Deadlands. Is, is there you know, they they do incorporate multiple flavors of weirdness, which is which is fun. The uh okay, so do you guys believe in dice luck? Like some people are like, "Oh, I always roll high. I always roll low." Mm-hmm. Do you guys have like
2: dice foo Absolutely. You're yeah. not a gamer if you're not superstitious.
4: Yeah. And I have a set of dice which was my very first set of dice I ever got when I was a sophomore in high school and I still have them and they roll the best.
1: Do you let a, do, do you let other people touch your dice?
4: Nope. <laughs> I don't let other people touch my books, my dice, nothing.
1: Yeah, I I've had a few uh, a few people least like this past week one of the guys is like I forgot my dice. Anybody have dice? And, and a couple people looked at me, I'm like, nope.
4: Yeah, I could have a 10-pound bag of dice yep. slung over my shoulder, and I'd be like, nope.
0: Nope, somebody else better
1: give this person some dice, because you are not
0: using mine.
4: Yep. That's
0: hilarious. That's why people give me the dirty looks when I don't show up with dice, and I, yep. I get like, like, up <laughs> and
1: <laughs> oh, I dice. Oh, I will say, you've done it a couple times, Chris, and it's like, ugh, I cringe, and I just want to, why don't you bring dice, damn it? <laughs> or or you, get that, you get that guy at the table at a con game, and he reaches over and grab
4: your dice to roll. Oh, dude. I just want to smack
1: them. <laughs> yes.
4: It's, that happened to me with my uh, my first con I ever went to. I was GMing uh, Star Wars Edge of the Empire. And I was like, okay, I got this covered for everybody. I have like three sets of dice. We're fine. And one of the players brought out his own dice. And the whole time I'm just eyeballing them, like, Is his dice intermixed with my dice? I need to get my dice back. (laughs) Uh,
3: uh,
2: I
4: better get all my dice back. (laughs) I don't want his dice. I want my dice.
2: (laughs) It's funny. For me, it's the other way. I don't care if people uh, use my dice, but uh, back in the day, I had this yellow mustard die that uh, players swore it was cursed. It (laughs) cursed them. So what I would do is I'd try to sneak it sneak that die into their uh, (laughs) die bundle so they'd touch it and then they'd they'd have to scoop it away with like a ruler or a book or something (laughs) and then sometimes in the middle of a session I'd just toss it across and then they'd get up and knock stuff around. Get it off me! Get it it. off me!
0: Yeah. Now, see, i'm exactly the opposite as a gm i bring dice for everybody's a gm and the little like you know all different colors and their little chess X boxes. just 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 in case yeah and they always end up getting used but as a player you know i, I yeah I'll, I'll show up with like nothing you know I'll be like whatever we'll, we'll make a character i'll snag some dice you know the important parts in your head right but start you know,
1: bringing your dice damn it
0: (laughs) he he travels fastest who travels without his gaming equipment
1: Uh, (laughs) yes and then everybody hates you for not having the shit you need
2: yeah true but then I make a buy him a pound of dice yeah
0: yeah, we'll I've got a little like a chest of dice. I've got enough. It's just the yeah, that's the problem. When you get so much of it, it's like I don't want to bring twelve pounds of dice with me <laughs> in my backpack
2: and all that kind of stuff. So hey, you never know; you might have to switch. Sometimes you know these dice don't roll well. You gotta switch. Oh, dude, I do yes. that all the time? I, I, I'm a numbers
0: guy. I've got no. I don't believe. I mean, unless the dice are actually not fair dice. But yeah, I, I, I don't care. I don't blow on the dice. I don't think they're rigged. I don't I don't think people go on lucky streaks or not. It's just, you know, just probability, right. folks.
2: Uh, you, you don't know. warm him up. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I
0: I don't have dice ritual. It's, it's weird. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, other people do it. I'm like, wow. I mean, you, you know, this is like a religion to some people. I mean, they really believe this is true. And I, I'm like, nah, I, I think it's all like uh, confirmation bias. <laughs> you know, you, you, when someone says they're good at rolling you forget, you know, they don't make a big deal out of their failures, and they make a big deal out of their successes, and they, you know anyways, the uh, last question for you guys what's your um, consummate Savage Worlds role-playing experience, your favorite moment memory, whatever, at the table
4: well, Eric go ahead, I gotta think about mine
2: as a player a couple months ago, I was uh Playing in a primeval Thule game, I was trying that out, and uh, I was playing kind of a cleric type of character, and all the barbarians and fighters were hiding for an ambush and shooting arrows instead of going melee. And I just, I just decided, I said, "All right, I'm going to show these guys how it's done." So I had the drop, and I came out with the drop with wild attack and a called shot to the head and beheaded the guy and then uh, let out a uh, war cry and pointed to the barbarian and tell him, see, that's how it's done. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> I mean, that, that setting, you know, for people who don't, are familiar, that is like basically Conan the Barbarian without the license, right? I mean, that's.
2: Yeah, crazy. and with some Lovecraft in there too.
0: You know. Yeah, so yeah, hiding, hiding behind rocks and being tactical is just not what's going on in that setting.
2: No, well, not in Savage Rules in general, anyway. The the way I like it, but you know, some t- bad habits die hard. They say, right? You've been playing for years and <laughs> that you know you gotta protect your character, and this to me, this doesn't make for a fun Savage Rules game. It's when you come out and risk it. That's just the flavor I like, anyway.
0: I, I agree, and I think Savage Worlds favors that style of play versus overly conservative, overly tactical. Um, you know, from coming from a, a miniatures game, it's certainly not—it's not a requirement or a benefit to be overly cautious and tactical in Savage Worlds. So,
2: yeah. That, so, uh, yeah, as a player, that's that's the one. As a GM, uh, uh, there's probably too many, and probably Jamie I had a chance to think about it.
4: Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, I did think about it, and I would have to say my best moment was probably the, the the day I played as a player with Cheyenne Wright as my GM. That's not a knock on John Goff whatsoever. It's just when I walked away from John Goff's game, that was my first game I ever played, and I was scratching my head saying, I don't get it. Because I was at a table full of players who knew what they were doing with Savage Worlds, and I was you know had no idea. So it was a lot of, well, pick up this dice and roll it. We'll tell you what happens. And when it finally clicked in my head after Cheyenne's game, that's just when it all just, I, I i went on a spree. I went total Savage World, so that has to probably be the best moment for me.
0: Nice, and uh, you Savage Mommy, what's your favorite memory moment from the table?
1: Uh, as a GM, I was running rifts for, uh, for a group, and they were on top of a, a stone tower, and they were being attacked, uh, and they were having a really hard time uh, defeating, I think it was werewolves. And so they decided they were going to climb down the tower. So the one guy grabs a coil of rope, throws it over, and jumps off, jumps over. I said, uh, so did you check to see if uh, that rope was attached to anything? He's like, <laughs> no. So the rope comes down behind him. He falls. He survives. The next character, they, they, they get the rope attached, and he goes to climb down double one's as climb roll, Oh God! falls, he had a rope, did enough damage, and it killed him. So the guy who jumped off and just grabbed the rope and it came down behind him lived. The guy who was actually doing it right ended up dying. <laughs> they still talk about
2: that. <laughs> That's a good one.
0: The, uh, I've got a lot of my, I think one I probably haven't mentioned, or maybe I have mentioned before, is the uh, Neil Hyde ran a version of a game called Chickens in the Mist. And it was supposed to be a horror game, and the author of this module is kind of a clean cut guy, and wrote it like straight up and The problem is is that when you read the the module and I don't know whether the characters were um were pre gens or Neil made them, but i mean the the way it was the way the characters were written in the situation, we took it to black humor immediately i mean it was you know, off-color jokes the entire night about you know, just the most awful things you could never repeat ever and we were in a convention setting and there were two other games in the same room and one of the games was a Pathfinder game and the, the looks we were getting from those people <laughs> i mean they were just like in horror at the awful things we were saying that's because um, you
1: were having fun and they weren't they were it, playing That's it. pretty much what it was <laughs> yeah. i mean
0: and these guys were very serious about it. they had the projector um, at a con, so they had their, the, you know, the map was like shining up to a mirror, shining down on the table so that the maps were, you know, it was a projected map and,
2: you know, it was all
0: very serious and, and the points and the loot was all very important. And we're over here just making, you know, just every off-color joke you could think of. Yeah. and uh, Worlds
1: tables don't work very well with other game systems being in the same room.
0: No we don't we, uh, we we don't play well i mean i i, I like savage world's players. I think that it attracts a really good community of people um but yeah, the way we play I mean we're louder we're more fun I think it's it's a it's a looser style of gaming and uh yeah you know so so that that game was kind of of a, a pinnacle just because of how and then finding out that like you know we we debased pretty much every you know no nothing was politically correct. It was all dark humor and, and and potty humor and racist humor and sexist humor and I mean you name it, it was there and and the guy was horrified. It's like, "What did you do to my module? It's, it's, it's supposed to be a modern horror, scary game, and, and we're talking about I mean it was you know one of the characters was a Telemundo reporter and her camera guy. Another one was a, was a, a lesbian PETA activist. Another one was a like a keystone cop, and I'm just like, "How can these not be just you know you have to go over the top and you know and it was it was all about a cockfighting ring in the middle of a bayou with gigantic chickens, and you know i mean i mean you just can't have a dozen you know mutant chickens in the game without having." five hours of dick jokes and you
2: know, so savages. Yeah, exactly. That's right.
0: And uh, so that that was, that was fun. I mean, that was one thing where, you know, that was, that was a a pinnacle. So the, uh, thank you guys from the wild eye podcast. If, uh, the savage cast listeners haven't checked them out, they're definitely, um, worth listening to and subscribing to, um, we'll throw up links where you can find them. Uh, they've got about as many episodes out as we do. So now we're in the race for, for putting out episodes. Yeah. The, um, Uh, yeah we love their content the, uh, it's definitely a different flavor from what we're, we're putting out there on the Savage Cast so the community is definitely better for it and uh, the uh, you know until Blaine comes back from his exile in Alaska uh, you guys get the uh, tag team of Jamie Pearson and Eric Lamoureux so thanks for joining us on our podcast and thanks for having us on yours guys yeah
1: thank, thank you guys so much this was, this was a lot of fun I'm really really glad we did this oh, uh, I you. appreciate you guys coming on, a,
0: on
4: the show thank you guys a you. lot this is awesome
2: thank you Let's
4: do that again. Yeah, most definitely.
0: You guys have any uh, shows, the upcoming shows you want to pimp out before we let you guys go? Uh,
4: Yes. Um, As far as my other podcast goes, uh, that goes right along with what Chris is talking about with dick jokes and everything like that. Be sure to uh, check out The Gathering of Dorks. We are a very, very, very (laughs) (laughs) off-color live stream podcast over on Twitch. Check that out at Twitch TV forward slash TGO Dorks. We just get on there, put down some beers, and have a lot of fun. Other than that, um, we are going to probably not next episode, but the episode after that. I'm going to sit down and actually interview Eric all about uh, Winter Eternal. So make sure you guys check uh, that one out.
2: Morning, will be there too.
4: Oh, he will. Did you get him to go ahead and come on?
2: Oh yeah, he'll be Excellent. there. You'll wake you'll wake up in the middle of the night and. Come talk to
4: us good so look forward to that so uh all you savages out there can definitely know what exactly winter eternal is all about from the imaginations that created it yeah thanks
0: yeah. thanks a lot and guys. Eric you, you've got a brand new fabled environments project that just uh just launched too right
2: yeah that's funny because that's that's the first one I ever wrote that was like six months ago that I wrote that last year and uh yeah, I thought that would be my first ever published product. Turns out I it wasn't, but uh, that that's a really fun one. That's a convention game I've been running for a couple years. I ran it a bunch of times, and it's always fun every time. So, What's uh, the theme?
0: What's the what's the content?
2: Uh, well, it's a group of paranormal investigators in a modern setting, and they... They have to find someone who's who's gone missing after a party, and uh, all the twists. Uh, I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no, it, it's not. it's very it's very weird. I, I didn't think I'd get picked up because it was so weird. But uh, if you like the wackiness of uh, forget about it and uh, all the gonzo off the wall B movie type of uh, scenario movies. Uh, that you should like it. It's it's a lot of fun.
0: Good deal, yeah. And and a big thank you shout out to the uh, the Wild Eye listeners who actually sent in questions. The uh, the Savage Calfs listeners are kind of a uh, they rolled their D four minus two and failed on that. <laughs> no brain so, surgery for them. Yeah, no brain
2: surgery. For you so hopefully
1: we can pick up some. Hopefully we can pick up some people who have uh, questions for us from the Wild Eye. Maybe they can ask us both questions. Yeah.
2: Yeah, our crowd is like the – you go to a stadium and th- the fans that are really loud and drunk, that's, that's the wild eye fans. You, you awesome. guys are more like the, the, the proper fans, the, the well-behaved fans. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you guys
3: are the
1: soccer hooligans. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nice. Well, thanks again, guys. There's it, it, a lot of fun. I, I appreciate you yep. guys coming on. Thank Love you. It. Cool. Hail savages. All hail. Thanks, everyone, for listening to episode nine of Savage Cast The Crossover. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Go there, subscribe, leave us a five star review. You can find us on G, on Facebook. You can email us at uproar at savagecast.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.